0: Chapter 16 of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Girkan, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter 16. Rest and unrest. It cost the Colonel a strange amount of trouble to get to that talk for an old soldier and man of the world to ask a little innocent girl about her meaning of words she had written would seem a simple matter enough but there was something about it that tied the colonel's tongue he could not bring himself to broach the subject at breakfast with the clear homely daylight streaming upon the breakfast table and esther moving about and attending to her usual morning duties all he could do was to watch her furtively this creature was growing up out of his knowledge He looked to see what outward signs of change might be visible. He saw a fair slim girl no longer a little girl, certainly, with a face that still was his child's face, he thought, and yet, as he looked, he slowly came to the conviction that it was the face of something more than a child. The old simplicity and the old purity were there, indeed, but now there was a blessed calm upon the brow, and the calmness had a certain lofty quality, and the sweetness which was more than ever, was refined and deep. It was not the sweetness of Larry's childhood, but something that had a more distant source than childhood draws from. The colonel ate his breakfast without knowing what he was eating. However, he could not talk to Esther at that time. He waited till evening had come round again, and the lamp was lit, and he was taking his toast and tea, with Esther ministering to him in her wonted course. "'How old are you, Esther?' he began suddenly." Near fifteen, Papa. Fifteen? Humph! Why, Papa? Had you forgotten? At the moment. Then he began again. I sent your letter off. Thank you, Papa. It was sealed up. Why did you seal it? Did you mean me not to read it? Esther's eyes opened. I never thought about it, Papa. I didn't know you would care to read it. I thought it must be sealed, and I sealed it. I did care to read it, so I opened it had you any objection no papa said esther wondering and having opened it i read it i did not quite understand it esther esther made no reply what do you want comfort so much for my child i thought you were happy as happy as other children i am happy now papa more happy than other children but you were not no papa for a while i was not why what did you want that you had not except your mother the colonel added with a sigh of consciousness that there might be a missing something there i was not thinking of her papa Esther said slowly of what then the colonel was intensely curious i was very happy as long as pitt was at home william dallas but what is he to you he's a collegian and you are a little girl "'Papa, the collegian, was very kind to the little girl,' Esther said, "'with a smile that was very bright, "'and also merry, with a certain sense of humor. "'I grant it. "'Still, it is unreasonable, "'and was it because he was gone that you wanted comfort? "'I didn't want it, "'or I didn't know that I wanted it while he was here. "'People that don't know they need comfort "'do not need it, I fancy. "'You draw fine distinctions. "'Well, go on, Esther.' you have found it your letter says oh yes papa my dear i do not understand you and i should like to understand can you tell me what you mean as he raised his eyes to her he saw a look come over her face that he could as little comprehend as he could comprehend her letter a look of surprise at him mingled with a sudden shine of some inner light she was moving about the tea-table she came round and stood in front of her father full in view Papa, I thought my letter explained it. I mean, that now I have come to know the Lord Jesus. Now? My dear, I was under the impression that you had been taught and had known the truths of the gospel all your life. Oh, yes, Papa, so I was. The difference... Well, the difference, Papa, is that now I know Him. Him? Whom? I mean, Jesus, Papa. How do you know Him? Do you mean that lately you have begun to think about him? No, Papa, I have been thinking a great while. And now? Now I have come to know him. That Esther knew what she meant was evident. It was equally plain that the Colonel did not. He was puzzled and did not like to show it too fully. The one face was shining with clearness and gladness. The other was dissatisfied and perplexed. My dear, I do not understand you, the colonel said, after a pause. Have you been reading mystical books? I did not know there were any in the house. I have been reading only the Bible, Papa, and that is not mystical. Your language sounds so. Why no, Papa, I do not mean anything mystical. Will you explain yourself? Esther paused, thinking how she should do this. When one has used the simplest words in one's vocabulary, and is called upon to expound them by the use of others less simple, the task is somewhat critical. The Colonel watched with a sort of disturbed pleasure the thoughtful, clear brow, the grave eyes which had become so sweet. The intelligence at work there, he saw, was no longer that of a child. The sweetness was no longer the blank of unconscious ignorance, but the wisdom of some blessed knowledge. What did she know that was hidden from his experience? Papa, it is very difficult to tell you, Esther began. I used to know about the things in the Bible, and I had learned whole chapters by heart, but that was all. I did not know much more than the name of Christ, and his history, of course, and his words. What more could you know, inquired the colonel, in increasing astonishment. That's just it, Papa. I did not know himself. "'You know what you mean when you say you don't know somebody. "'I mean just that.' "'But, Esther, that sounds to me very like—very like—' "'An improper use of language,' said the colonel, stammering. "'How can you know him as you speak?' "'I can't tell you, Papa. "'I think he showed himself to me.' "'Showed himself? "'Do you mean in a vision?' "'Oh, no, Papa,' said Esther, smiling.' i have not seen his face not literally but he has somehow showed me how good he is and how glorious and has made me understand how he loves me and how he is with me so that i do not feel alone any more i don't think i ever shall feel alone again was this extravagance the colonel pondered it seemed to him a thing to be rebuked or repressed he knew nothing of this kind in his own religious experience He feared it was visionary and fanciful, but when he looked at Esther's face, the words died on his tongue which he would have spoken. Those happy eyes were so strong in their wistfulness, so grave in their happiness, that they forbade the charge of folly or fancifulness. Nay, they were looking at something which the colonel wished he could himself see, if the sight brought such contentment. They stopped his mouth. He could not say what he thought to say and his own eyes oddly fell before them. What does William Dallas know about all this? he asked. Nothing, Papa. I don't think he knows it at all. Why did you write about it to him then? I was sure he would be glad for me, Papa. Once, a good while ago, I asked Pitt what could be the meaning of a verse in the Bible, that beautiful verse in Numbers, and he could not tell me, though what he said gave me a great help, so I knew he would remember, and he would be glad, and I want him to know Jesus too. The colonel felt a little twinge of jealousy here, but Esther did not know, he reflected, that her own father was in equal destitution of that knowledge. Or was it all visionary that she had been saying, in his view of religion, the right one after all? It must be the right one. Yet his religion had never given his face the expression that shone in Esther's now. It almost hurt him and now you have comfort he said after a moment's pause yes papa more than comfort because you think that god looks upon you with favor because i love him papa i know him and i love him and i know he loves me and will do everything for me how do you know it asked the colonel almost harshly that sounds to me rather presuming you may hope it but how can you know it he has made me know it papa and he said it in the bible i just believe what he says colonel gainsborough gave up the argument before esther's face of quiet confidence he felt himself baffled if she were wrong he could not prove a wrong uneasy and worsted he gave up the discussion but thought he would not have any more letters go to william dallas and as the days went on he watched furtively his daughter he had not been mistaken in his observations that evening a steadfastness of sweet happiness was about her beautifying and elevating all she did and all she was fair quiet on the brow loving gladness on the lip and hands of ready ministry she had always been a dutiful child faithful in her ministering but now the service was not of duty but of love and gracious accordingly as the service of duty can never be the colonel watched and saw something of the difference without being able however to come at a satisfactory understanding of it. He saw how, under this influence of love and gladness, his child was becoming the rarest of servants to him, and more still, how under it she was developing into a most exquisite personal beauty. He watched her, as if by watching he might catch something of the secret mental charm by virtue of which these changes were wrought. But the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and it cannot be communicated from one to another." as had been mentioned pitt's letters after he got to work at oxford became much fewer and scantier it was only at very rare intervals that one came to colonel gainsborough and esther made no proposition of writing to england again on that subject the colonel ceased to take any thought it was otherwise with pitt's family mrs dallas sat one evening pondering over the last letter received from her son it was early autumn a low fire burning in the chimney towards which the master of the house stretched out his legs, lying very much at his ease in an old-fashioned chaise lounge, and turning over an English newspaper. His attitude bespoke the comfortable ease and carelessness of his mind, on which certainly nothing lay heavy. His wife was in all things a contrast. Her handsome, stately figure was yielding at the moment to no blandishments of comfort or luxury. She sat upright, with Pitt's letter in her hand, "'and on her brow there was an expression of troubled consideration. "'Husband,' she said at length, "'do you notice how Pitt speaks of the colonel and his daughter?' "'No,' came slowly and indifferently from the lips of Mr. Dallas, "'as he turned the pages of his newspaper. "'Don't you notice how he asks after them in every letter "'and wants me to go and see them?' "'Natural enough, Pitt is thinking of home, "'and he thinks of them, part of the picture.' That boy don't forget. Give him time, suggested Mr. Dallas, with a careless yawn. He has had some time, a year and a half, and in Europe, and distractions enough. But don't you know, Pitt, he sticks to a thing even closer than you do, if he cares enough about it. That's what troubles me, Hildebrand. I am afraid he does care. If he comes home next summer and finds that girl, do you know how she is growing up? "'That is the worst of children,' said Mr. Dallas, in the same lazy way. "'They will grow up. "'By next summer she will be—' "'Well, I don't know how old, "'but quite old enough to take the fancy of a boy like Pitt. "'I know Pitt's age. "'He will be twenty-two, old enough to know better. "'He isn't such a fool.' "'Such a fool as what?' asked Mrs. Dallas sharply. "'That girl is going to be handsome enough to take any man's fancy, "'and hold it, too.' "'She is uncommonly striking. "'Don't you see it?' Humph "'Yes, I see it. "'Hildebrand, I do not want him to marry the daughter of a dissenting colonel, "'with not enough money to dress her. "'I do not mean he shall. "'Then think how you are going to prevent it. "'Next summer, I warn you, it may be too late.' "'In consequence, perhaps, of this conversation, "'though it is by no means certain that Mr. Dallas needed its suggestions,' He strolled over after tea to Colonel Gainsborough's. The colonel was in his usual place and position, Esther sitting at the table with her books. Mr. Dallas eyed her as she rose to receive him, noticed the gracious, quiet manner, the fair and noble face, the easy movement and fine bearing, and turned to her father with a strengthened purpose to do what he had come to do. He had to wait a while. He told the news of Pitt's last letter, "'intimated that he meant to keep him in England till his studies were all ended, "'and then went into a discussion of politics, deep and dry. "'When Esther at last left the room, "'he made a sudden break in the discussion. "'Colonel, what are you going to do with that girl of yours?' "'What am I going to do with her?' "'repeated the colonel, a little dryly. "'Yes, forgive me. "'I have known her all her life, you know, nearly. "'I am concerned about Esther.' "'In what way?' "'Well, don't take it ill of me, "'but I do not like to see her growing up so without any advantages. "'She is such a beautiful creature.' "'Colonel Gainsborough was silent. "'I take the interest of a friend,' Mr. Dallas went on. "'I have a right to so much. "'I have watched her growing up. "'She will be something uncommon, you know. "'She ought really to have everything that can help to make humanity perfect.' "'What would you have me do?' the colonel asked, "'half conscious and half impatient. "'I would give her all the advantages "'that a girl of her birth and breeding would have in the old country. "'How is that possible at Seaforth?' "'It is not possible at Seaforth. "'There is nothing here, but elsewhere it is possible.' "'I shall never leave Seaforth,' said the colonel doggedly. "'But for Esther's sake?' "'Why, she ought to be at school now, Colonel.' "'I shall never quit Seaforth,' the other repeated. "'I do not expect to live long anywhere. "'When I die, I will lie by my wife's side here.' "'You are not failing in health,' Mr. Dallas persisted. "'You are improving, Colonel. "'Every time I come to see you, I am convinced of it. "'We shall have you a long while among us yet. "'You may depend on it.' "'I have no particular reason to wish you may be right.' "'and I see myself no signs that you are. "'You have your daughter to live for. "'She will be taken care of. "'I have little fear.' "'There was a somewhat grim set of Mr. Dallas's mouth "'in answer to this speech. "'His words, however, were smoother than butter. "'You need have no fear,' he said. "'Miss Gainsborough, with her birth and beauty and breeding, "'will do what you must wish her to do.' marry someone well able to take care of her but you are not doing her justice colonel in not giving her the education that should go with her birth and breeding i speak as a friend i trust you will not take it ill of me i cannot send her to england you do not need there are excellent institutions of learning in this country now i do not know where my wife can tell you she has some knowledge of such things "'Through friends who have daughters at school. "'She could tell you of several good schools for girls. "'Where are they?' "'I believe in or near New York.' "'I do not wish to leave Seaforth,' said the colonel gloomily. "'And I am sure we did not wish to have you leave it,' said the other, rising. "'It would be a terrible loss to us. "'Perhaps, after all, I have been officious, "'and you are giving Esther an education more than equal to what she could get at school.' i cannot quit seaforth the colonel repeated all that i care for in the world lies here when i have done with the world i wish to lie here too and till then i will wait mr dallas took his leave and the set of his mouth was grim again as he walked home end of chapter sixteen recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona